The Secret Church podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For The Secret Church 3 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC3. And this is Secret Church 3, Episode 4. So we're learning to look. Look for what the Word emphasizes. We listed those things that show emphasis in the Word. Now I want us to think about looking for what the Word repeats. Remember, these are six things we're looking for. We've talked about learning to listen, asking all these questions when we come to a text. Now we're looking for certain things. Looking for what the Word emphasizes and then what the Word repeats. Second, every time we see this, we're going to unlock some gold in the text. Does the author intentionally repeat anything in the text? Whenever you study the Bible and notice something that it is repeated, it's not because the author forgot he'd already mentioned that. He's doing this for a reason. It's their way of pointing out something is really, really important. So what kind of things are repeated? Well, many times certain words, terms, phrases, or clauses are repeated. You go to Psalm 136. I don't think these are in there, but Psalm 136, and you see over and over and over again, his love endures forever, his love endures forever, his love endures forever. You look at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, and you count out the number of times that Jesus refers to God as Father over and over and over again. And it's amazing, even just in the Gospels. In the Old Testament, this is a little lanyap. This is not in your notes, but man, it's such an incredible picture. Fifteen times in the Old Testament, God is referred to as Father. Fifteen times. You get to the New Testament, just in the Gospels alone, He is referred to as Father 165 times. Over and over and over again, Jesus is calling God Father. That clues us in. Something's going on here. And at all those times, what's really interesting, 165 times, 164 of them, he's talking about God as Father when he's talking with his disciples. What we're seeing is that Christ is ushering in a picture of God as a father to his people. It's incredible just by looking for the, what the word repeats. You look at 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7. Let's ask the question, is this text repeating anything? See if there's a word or a couple of words that were repeated here. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Have you picked up on it yet? So this isn't even a chiasm. This is just right here. This is easy. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also to Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort. We get the point which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. What you see in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7 is this picture of comfort and suffering and how they go together. Those two words don't often go together, do they? In Christ they do. Comfort, suffering, repeated over and over and over again, setting the stage for the whole book of 2 Corinthians. 1 John 2, 15 through 17, look for what the word repeats. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. You see the world over and over and over again, not just in this passage, all throughout the book of 1 John. You see love all throughout the book of 1 John. Whenever you see these words, you're studying the Bible, underline them, circle them, draw attention to the fact that the word is repeating here something here for a reason. 
You look for characters that the word repeats. You look in Acts, and every time you see Barnabas, he's coming on the scene, and he's bringing encouragement. He's building up the body. He's helping in this area or that area. Every time you see Barnabas repeated there, he's doing the same thing. You see certain patterns in Exodus. You see over and over again this phrase, Pharaoh hardened his heart. But you also see this phrase over and over again that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So you see them both repeated over and over again. You look at Luke. He mentions filled with the Spirit eight different times in his two books, Luke and Acts. Eight different times he mentions filled with the Spirit. And there's something that happens. Every time he mentions it, he talks about how someone was filled with the Spirit and they began to speak. Someone was filled with the Spirit and they began to speak. This person was filled with the Spirit and they began to speak. There is a picture here of when we're filled with the Spirit. What do we do? We speak. The Spirit is in you to speak the word of Christ, to speak to bring glory to Christ. That's the picture over and over again. We see that by what the word repeats. Not just in passages, but in large chunks of Scripture. Characters, patterns, and then New Testament uses of Old Testament passages. You go through Matthew 5, and you see Jesus saying over and over and over again, you have heard that it was said this, but I say to you this. Repeat it over and over. So look for what the word repeats. You look for that in individual passages as well as books that you're reading through. Is there something that keeps coming up over and over and over again? Look for where the word emphasizes and repeats. Next, third, look for what the word connects. Look for what the word connects. Are there certain relationships that are established between items, ideas, individuals that are connected together. And there's all kinds of ways that an author will connect things. One way is through conjunctions. Words like and, for, but, therefore, since, because. If you imagine a text almost to be like a a brick house, then the mortar that holds those bricks together are these conjunctions. They hold the thing together. They tie it together. Connections. You look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. First word is therefore. And you underline that. That's a major connector. Paul has just spent 11 chapters talking about the beauty of the gospel. And he says, therefore, in light of the great love of Jesus Christ, I urge you, brothers, to offer yourselves to God as a living sacrifice. That's based on, that's a connector. The practical that's about to come in Romans 12 through 16 is based on Romans chapter 1 through 11. Same thing in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, when he says, therefore, at the very beginning, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, it's a reference to the entire chapter of Hebrews 11, known as the faith chapter. He's just given a list of all these people, Abraham, Moses, Joshua, these folks who did these things. And then he says, therefore, in light of them, I urge you to press on toward Christ. 2 Timothy 1, 7 and 8. Underline or circle the different connectors here, the different conjunctions. Four. There's one. Four. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but there it is, a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Now there's six or seven conjunctions in there that are connecting things, that are saying God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, connecting these things together. We've got a spirit, but it's not one that's afraid, it's one that's powerful. So in light of that, don't be ashamed. Paul's in prison as he writes this. He says, but instead of being ashamed, you join with me in suffering for the gospel. These connectors, just see how they relate to each other. Prepositions, look for by, with, from, in, on, upon, through, to. This is one of my, we studied this a few weeks ago here at Brook Hills. I have been crucified. Here's one, with Christ. Circle that. 
You realize what that means? You're crucified with Christ, identified with Christ in his death. His death for the sins of our lives is our death for sins. It's been paid for, crucified with Christ. It's a good thing to be crucified with Christ. That one word is huge. And I no longer live, but Christ lives what? In me. Isn't that a great picture? Christ is in you, ladies and gentlemen. That is, that is a stout two-letter word right there. The life I live in the body, so the life I have in this body, I live by faith. We live by faith. The only way you can live out the Christian life is by faith, not by works, not by you trying to get it done on your own. It's by faith in the Son of God. In him, it's faith in him that makes this thing possible. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Praise be to Jesus Christ. He gave himself on our behalf for us. Now you just go through there and you've got a good quiet time in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Just by looking at prepositions. Look at the next verse, Romans 5, 1 and 2. This also is loaded. Therefore, since we have been justified, means made right with God, through faith... How are you made right with God? Through faith. So the through there. We have peace with God. It's a good thing. We have peace with the God of the universe. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Now that is just loaded. We have access to God by faith in this grace in which we now stand in the grace of God with the peace of God and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. No matter what happens and it goes on next, we rejoice in suffering because we know that suffering does this perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Man, it is just loaded with this picture of who we are in Christ and what we have in Christ and how we relate to God and how there is nothing in this world that can stop us no matter how deep the suffering is because we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have the love of the Holy Spirit. I'm preaching on Romans 5. When to move on. You got the picture. Connections between general things and specific things. Look for times when an author introduces a general idea and then provides an explanation through specific supporting ideas, or sometimes vice versa, goes from specific to general. You look at Galatians 5, 16 through 23. He says, so I say, says Paul talking, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the, sinful desi the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under law. So what we've got is a picture that's set up, very general. Those who are led by the sinful nature and those who are led by the spirit. And then he goes to specifics. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Here's the specifics over here. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. He lists them all. And then he says, I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not enter the kingdom of God. Then he goes back over to this general idea, the spirit, those who live by the spirit. And he gives a list. Specific, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. From general to specific. How do you know if you're living according to the sinful nature or according to the spirit? You look at these specifics. Are they evident in your life? From specific to general, 1 Corinthians 13, I didn't put that in your notes, but you know how it gives a specific description of love. Love is this, love is this, love is this. All these specifics, and it builds toward the end when it says, 
And we've got faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love, from specific to general. All right, next, question and answer. Look for times, and this is really interesting. It's like the the text of Scripture is having a dialogue with itself. Writers are having a dialogue with the readers. Look for questions and answered. And sometimes those questions are answered. Sometimes they're not. You look at Job 38. This is the key turning point at the very end of this book. God comes to Job and he says, Who is it that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Things are real quiet at this point in the book of Job. And question after question after question unfolds. God asking Job, were you there when I did this? Were you there when I did this? Were you there when I did this? It is a powerful picture. Questions and not a lot of answers coming from Job in the middle of it. Malachi 1.6, son honors his father and a servant his master. If I'm a father, where is the honor due me? This is God rebuking his people. If I'm a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord? You ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? This is God having a dialogue with his people through the prophet Malachi. Matthew 26.40, He returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. I wanted to include this one in light of our time together tonight. Could you men not keep watch with me for six hours, he asked Peter. Matthew 26, 40. But if they were falling asleep, then I guess it would make sense that some of us will. And that's okay. That's okay. Uh, Paul writes to the Romans. And what you see, and I just put the first verse in each of these chapters, Romans 3, 1. What advantage then is there in being a Jew? What value is there in circumcision? Then Paul answers it. Then he gets Romans 4. Well, what then shall we say that Abraham our forefather discovered in this matter? He answers it. Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And he answers it in Romans 6. Romans 7. Do not know, brothers, for I am speaking to men who know the law. The law has authority over man as long as he lives. You see this dialogue going on. And Paul is asking questions. And then he's giving the answer. So look for question and answer. Then cause and effect. Cause and effect. Look for causes that the author states and the results of the effects that come from that. This is, this is really important. Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Cause, effect. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Cause of a harsh word is anger. Always. Wages are, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Then you get to Romans 6.23, the wages of sin, the payment of sin, cause of sin, or the the effect of sin is death. Sin's the cause, death is the effect. The gift of God, because of God's gift, the effect is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Acts 8.1, I put this one in here, particularly in light of our brothers and sisters who were persecuted. Listen to Acts 8.1. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day a great persecution broke out, broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Isn't that interesting? Acts 1 through 7, the gospel is stuck in Jerusalem. They've been told to take it to the ends of the earth, and it's stuck in Jerusalem. What causes it to go to the ends of the earth? Persecution broke out, and as an effect of that all, except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. It's a picture that we see that Satan's strategy to hinder the advancement of the gospel by stoning Stephen, the picture of the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 6 and 7, actually serves to advance the gospel. And the effect of persecution is advancement of the gospel to Judea and Samaria and eventually to the ends of the earth. I praise God for men like Donnie and Ronnie who show us what it looks like to experience persecution as a cause that affects the advancement of the gospel throughout Indonesia. 
and our brothers and sisters around the world who are experiencing great costs in this cause picture of persecution. And the effect is people all around the world are seeing the gospel through the lives that are being given from the church. Cause and effect. Means. When something happens in the text, look for the means that brought about that particular action. How did it happen? What was the way through which it happened? Look for by or through. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. You want to be pure students? I know there's a lot of students in here, college, high school students, struggling with purity, holiness. How do you be pure? By living according to your word. The means by which you will experience purity in your life is through knowledge of the word of God. That's the picture. It's the means. Romans 8, 13 and 14, if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit, by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. The way to live is by the Spirit, through the Spirit. That's the whole point of Romans chapter 8. So those are the means. Then there's conditions, clauses that have conditions that bring about a particular response. Look for if, which is the condition, and then then, which is the consequence. If this happens, then this will happen. Condition and consequence. Deuteronomy 28. You see these all throughout the Old Testament covenant. If you fully obey the Lord God and carefully follow all his commands I give you, the Lord God, and it's all, it's not, then is not in there, but you see it. The Lord God will set you high above all the nations on earth. If you do this, then this will happen. 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, then he is a new creation. How do you become a new creation? By being in Christ. If this, the consequence is this. 1 John 1, 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, then we lie and do not live by the truth. Look for condition and consequence. Finally, not finally, lists. Look at lists. Look for any instances of where two or more things are itemized and observe how. Here's the question you want to ask. How is this listed and why? Why are they ordered in a certain way? Anytime you see two more things that are listed together, you got a list there. And you want to ask, how are they listed and why are they listed this way? Look at 1 John 2.16. Everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, come not from the Father but from the world. That's a list. Those three things are grouped together. And so when you're studying that text, you want to ask, okay, why do these things go together? How did God, how did God and his spirit bring these things together in the word? Go to Colossians 3, 5 to 8. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. It gives a list similar to what we saw in Galatians 5. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. It's idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. And then he gives another list. But you must rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Put them together. You've got lists. And so if you're studying and you're you have this sheet in front of you, then what you're going to do is you're going to write on their list and you're going to write that out. Remember, this is the first part. First part on this sheet that you've got. You're writing down on there, what does the word repeat, emphasize, and you're writing it down. That's what this sheet is for, to write those things down when you sit down and study a text. You look for lists. Pronouns. Pronouns. Now remember, we're looking for how things connect. Pronouns help us see connections in the text. Now remember a pronoun is when instead of saying David, it's I, or instead of saying the church, it's you. So you use these pronouns, I, we, you. I want you to look at Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. This is my favorite example of this in all of scripture. I want you to look for the pronouns and circle every time you see a pronoun, okay? Now 
active and passive folks, you with me on the pronouns? Okay. All right, pronoun. I, me, we, us, our, your, okay, you, okay, you got pronouns? Okay, here we go. Praise, not a pronoun, okay? (laughs) I'll try to help you out along the way. Praise be to the God and Father of our, pronoun, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose and, and he is a pronoun, but we're just going to assume, okay, that's, that's God, okay? He chose us, there it is, circle it there, in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him... We were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And now does that look different? There's a pronoun change here. Everything's we and us. We, us. It's happened to us. Then he says, and you also were included in Christ when You heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. Now, why do you think that happened? And you go back to what we talked about in New Testament secret church, and you remember that Paul was writing this book of Ephesians, this letter, to a church that was experiencing a lot of division between Jews and Gentiles, and they were... They were tempted to look at Gentiles because they weren't a part of the original people of God as almost like second-class Christians. And so Paul starts off the letter, a Jew, saying, in him we have these things and us and we and us, in reference to the Jewish people. And then he says, and you also. He's speaking to Gentiles, and he says, you also were included in Christ. You heard the word of truth. You were marked in him with a seal. And then he brings it to the end, the promised Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing, and he goes back to our inheritance. Isn't that a great picture? There are no second-class Christians in the kingdom of God. It's us together, our inheritance. This picture of community in Ephesians comes alive between Jews and Gentiles when you look at the pronouns here and the shift that comes there. So that's what we're looking for, looking at the pronouns. Even in a simple verse like 2 Peter 2.20, if... They, there's the pronoun, they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome. They are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. This is one of those verses that's used to describe how people sometimes take this verse and say, well, you can lose your salvation. And you hear what it said? They've escaped the corruption of the world by knowing Christ and then again they're entangled in it and overcome. They are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. Does that mean I can lose my salvation? You go back to the very beginning of 2 Peter 2 and you look throughout where this pronoun is referring to and you look to the very beginning and it says these are the false prophets. They were with us but not really of us to use 1 John 2 to describe. We got to know who the pronoun is in order to understand what this verse is saying. 
Pronouns are key. Key. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources from David Platt at Radical.net.